Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Oh, and first pitch, rushing! Deep left field! This is Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. What's up, and welcome into Fantasy Baseball today on Thursday, July 6th. I am Frank Stample, joined by CPT, Chris Paul Towers. Today on the show, Pablo Lopez and Kodai Senga were amazing. Matt Olson is on fire. We'll have some fun with rankings, talk about... Should we be moving these players up? How far up should they go? We'll talk about it and much more. Before we get started, please like this video and subscribe on YouTube if you haven't already. And if you're listening on the audio side, download, follow, and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. Let's jump in. Oh my good goodness gracious! Chris, you are up. Sorry for giving out your entire government name, but who would you like to start with? Oh my goodness gracious. Yeah, that is my birth name, uh, Chris Paul Towers. And uh, we are going to start with Brian Bayo because I think he's a really interesting player who I think a lot of people are very, very high on. And as a noted contrarian, I'm slightly less high on him than everyone else, probably. I mean, I, I guess let's calibrate it, right? Brian Bayo had seven two earned run innings against the Texas Rangers today, three strikeouts, no walks, eight hits, uh, gave up one home run, but was terrific again. And he's been one of the best pitchers in baseball over the past couple of months. Since May 1st, I believe he leads the American League in ERA now. He was second going into the start, but I think this one might have pulled him ahead. If not, he's still second, I suppose. He's been really good. And, you know, every time he, he goes out there right now, it feels like it's, Seven innings. I think he's pitched into the seventh inning four or five straight starts now. Uh, He's just been outstanding. Yeah, five straight starts going back to his second start in the month of June. ERA close to two. And uh, since May 1st, sorry. Um, And I'm really interested to know where you have Brian Bayo ranked. So let's talk talk about it because I updated my infield rankings on... Wednesday, I plan to update my outfield and starting pitcher ranks on He's not an infielder. No, he is not. So I haven't touched that yet, but he is just barely inside of my top 60. He's right around names like Kodai Senga, who we will talk about, uh, Jordan Montgomery, Andrew Abbott, Braxton Garrett, Ranger Suarez. All pitchers that have been pretty good. Pretty solid pitchers. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that seems like a reasonable range. I moved him up to 45. Tonight, because I realized I hadn't moved him up in a in a while. That was there are so many players, and sometimes there's just a guy that you just don't think of. And that was Brian Bayo for me. He was way too low before. If you saw my rankings before uh, around eleven o'clock tonight, ignore them. They lie to you. Uh, he is forty five right now in my rotor rankings, just ahead of Jordan Montgomery and Jose Barrios, just behind James Paxton, and. That's an interesting range because Jordan Montgomery, I don't think has a ton of upside, but he's very solid. He's been very solid for like a year straight now, really. Jose Barrios having a really nice bounce back season, but obviously not an ace. James Paxton, I think he's going to pitch like an ace. 
as long as he does, it's just a question of how long he's able to stay out there. And then I've got Carlos Rodon right ahead of him, who, again, I think he's going to pitch like an ace when he pitches. It's just a, a big question of how much he's going to be able to do that. Brian Bayo, the, the positives are obviously, I mean, the, the results have been really, really great, but he's had very good control, uh, eight walks and 33 innings in the month of June, nine walks in 30 and er, 27 innings in the month of May. So getting a little better there, no walks today, doing a very good job of getting a lot of ground balls. His ground ball rate is 57% right now, hard hit rate, 41%. That's a little better than a little worse than league average, but it's not terrible because of how many, many ground balls he gets. The problem is he just doesn't get a lot of strikeouts. You know, Brian Bayo's strikeout rate for the season entering tonight when he only had three strikeouts was 21.8%. League average, 22.1%. So right around average there. A little better than average with his walk rate, but not elite. Good, but not elite. And you add it all up and it just, it feels like a good pitcher. I'm confident Brian Bayo is a good pitcher. I feel like he, he's established himself now as a high floor pitcher. The two-ish ERA since the start of May, the 304 ERA that he has this season, that's where I start to that's where I struggle, right? That that's where it's like, is this guy a burgeoning ace? I don't think so. I don't think he's a Cy Young candidate, uh, necessarily moving forward. I mean, right now he he might be, but I, I think moving forward, he's more like his 385X ERA. Or his, I think his FIP is like 3-5. I think those are probably more indicative of who he's likely to be moving forward. And that's a very good pitcher, but it does, I think, open an opportunity to sell Brian Bayo. So, like you said, if you just follow the underlying ERA estimators, FIP, XFIP, and XERA are all between 378 yep. and 394 after this start. So, they, based on that, there should be regression coming for the reasons you mentioned. He doesn't get as many strikeouts. He does give up a good amount of hard contact. Lots of ground balls. The Red Sox defense is, uh, I think last I, I saw, they're, they're pretty bad. So I don't know how long he's going to be able to uh, maintain turning all of those hard hits into outs. But I agree. I mean, look, if you could sell high on him, get like top 30 pitcher value, I think that's something I would look into doing. I, I just don't know... Like, Brian Bayo is in a household name, right? Are you going to mm -hmm. be able to get that kind of value for him? I don't know if that's realistic. You can try. Sure. Uh, because I do think there probably will be some regression with him. For example, would if you could turn him into Christian Javier right now, is that something you would do, Chris? I think so. I, I wish I could tell you uh, with more confidence that I would, but I, I do have Christian Javier ranked ahead still, so yes, I, I would do that. All right. Well, this is all to say... I. I uh, Brian Bayo is a good pitcher, and we like him, right? It's not just mm -hmm. sell because we think he's going to implode or anything like that. We just think he's he might be slightly pitching over his head right now. I know if Scott was here, he, he probably would argue it because I know he likes Bayo quite a bit in that Framber Valdez kind of mold of pitcher, and uh, I think that's fair. I think that's a very reasonable comp and something Brian Bayo should be uh, striving to become moving forward. Oh my goodness gracious for me is Pablo Lopez, who had the line of the night. He was amazing. He threw the not only the first complete game of his career, the first shutout of his career. Those things obviously go hand in hand. Uh, a four hitter, zero walks allowed, a career high 12 strikeouts for Pablo Lopez. 17 swinging strikes on 100 pitches, seven of those on the fastball, five on the changeup, four on the curve. Pretty much had everything working in this one. I guess we have to throw in the caveat that he was pitching against the Kansas City Royals, and they are one of the worst offenses in the I league. I mean, just like maybe the best streaming option against right-handed pitching right now. They are they are just completely lost. Yes. I don't want to take too much away from Pablo Lopez because it's not like everybody is throwing yes. complete game shutouts against the Royals right now. But he was really good in this one. He did change up his pitch mix a little bit, faded the sinker through a few more curveballs. Everything else was on par for Pablo Lopez. And Chris, I think Pablo Lopez is a good test study for trusting the process, right? Mm -hmm. If you just follow the underlying metrics all year long, things like K to walk rate and Sierra and expected ERA, everything said that Pablo Lopez was pretty unlucky this year. Uh, and obviously a start like this, Maybe it's something that can kind of get him back on track and have him pitching closer to those peripheral numbers rest of season. Your latest thoughts on Pablo Lopez. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the one thing you would look at when you see the elevated ERA is, well, he must be getting hit hard to, to lead to that kind of production or number. And that's not the case at all. His expected Wobon contact is 355. That's consistently been, I think, an underrated aspect of Pablo Lopez's game. Uh, he's been 360, 366, 327 the past four seasons, then 355 this season. So very good quality of contact numbers. And obviously we've seen the leap in his strikeout rate. So, yeah, I, I think he is someone that I've struggled with where to rank him because I don't want to get too aggressive given the the somewhat ugly overall numbers. But I, I think he's probably a top 25-ish starting pitcher moving forward. Yeah, I was going to say, is this a start that should elevate Pablo Lopez ahead of names like Tyler Glass now, George Kirby, uh, Mitch Keller, guys like that? I've got him ahead of Kirby and Glass now already. He's 23 in my Roto rankings. Um, So it would be like the next move would be I've got him above Shane Bieber uh, rest of season. I almost fell out of my chair. You're right there. <laughs> that was crazy. <laughs> oh, geez. For those watching on YouTube, you just got a nice little treat. That was great. Oh, that was good. Uh, I've got Pablo Lopez 23. I just moved him. I moved him ahead of Shane Bieber today when in my rankings update. So the next step would be Nathan Evaldi, Logan Webb, Joe Ryan. That's a that's a tough group to, yeah. to break into, but I mean, the process says he's got a 310x ERA and his FIP, I'm sure, is in the same range. I haven't I haven't seen that one yet. But yeah, I mean, there's a lot to like. And I think he definitely belongs in that group. And I, I think, you know, like even someone like Joe Musgrove, who I've got at 15, I think is a really interesting, you know, comparison point because I might feel a little better about Pablo Lopez than Joe Musgrove right now. Certainly, if you use those metrics that we talked about, right, it's, you know, K to walk rate, it's as old as time, but it's it's usually, you know, pretty tried and true when evaluating pitchers. And Pablo Lopez has been one of the best in baseball this year. There's just there's a few names like him and Logan Gilbert, where the Mm -hmm. K to walk has been really good this year, but it still hasn't translated to actual production. I say that in a week where both guys just threw yeah. complete game shutouts. So, you know, maybe that's starting to, to turn over a little bit. But, um, yeah, the underlying metrics for both of those guys said that they should have been pitching much better than they have for most of this season. We are going to get into more rankings in just a bit, but I do want to provide a programming update for next week, the All-Star break. I mentioned we're going to be doing some fun things. And uh, here's what we got lined up. We're still going to be going live on YouTube Sunday through Thursday. I think on the days with the home run derby and the all-star game, we'll probably go a little bit earlier in the afternoon slash evening time. Uh, But here's what we got Sunday night in MLB draft recap, first year player draft rankings for those who play in dynasty. I'll be doing that with the Welsh. That will be your Monday morning podcast Monday evening. I'll do second half impact prospects. Which names do you need to know that can help us out in the months of July, August? You know, maybe some guys that could get called up in September as well. I'll also do that one with the Welsh. And that will be your Tuesday morning podcast on Tuesday evening. This is a fun one. We always like to do it. Way too early 2024 mock draft. We'll do the first, probably first two rounds. I think Scott will be back by then. And obviously, Chris, if you want to hop on for that, we'll, we could do all three of us and kind of talk that out and figure out where guys like Corbin Carroll might go uh, in drafts next season. So again, that's going to be Tuesday evening. That's your Wednesday morning podcast. Wednesday night, we'll have second half sleepers, breakouts, and bust. That'll be your Thursday morning podcast. And then Thursday evening, a week 16 preview, previewing uh, next weekend, next, next weekend, and the following week. And we'll also take some mailbag questions. That will be your Friday morning podcast. Let's get into fun with rest of season rankings. We already talked about Pablo Lopez and trying to talk things through and what his value should be rest of season. Top 25, top 20 is starting pitcher for him. Let's talk about Matt Olson here, Chris. And, you know, you're splitting hairs with a lot of the top five first basemen. We know they're all really good. It's just what level of good are they going to be or have they been? Matt Olson, he is on some kind of run right now. Three for four with his 29th home run on Wednesday. He trails only Shohei Otani. Uh, I don't know why Matt Olson wasn't in the home run derby. I don't know if he was asked, but it seems like something... He's never been in it, right? I, I'm not making that up, right? 
I don't think so. It feels um, like something he'd be really good at. Like, why hasn't Madel? Yeah, he swing real hard. Yeah, it's just I just found that very weird. Anyway, um, he was dropped down to fifth in the Braves lineup on June fifteenth. Matt Olson was, and since then he has eleven homers in eighteen games since, and. He did move back up into the cleanup spot, I think, around June 23rd. So this hasn't all been in the the fifth spot in the lineup. But I think it's something that maybe lit a fire under Matt Olson. And he's just quietly doing his thing. He's batting 254, obviously in the middle of that lineup. 68 runs scored, 70 RBI for Matt Olson. He is the sixth overall player in Roto. Not first baseman. Player. Sixth overall player in Roto. That was before Wednesday. He was the fifth best hitter in head-to-head points before Wednesday. So, Chris, I say all this and that. I kind of feel like Matt Olson should be ranked as the number two first baseman behind only Freddie Freeman. Your thoughts? I think that's a there's a reasonably reasonable case to be made there. He's number four for me, so I've got him ahead of Pete Alonso, but behind Paul Goldschmidt, Vladimir Guerrero, but all those guys are really, really close. Freddie Freeman, I think, is a a clear number one because his more broad skill set. The thing with Olsen is we've always known that he is a, an elite two category player. And when things work out right, an elite three category player, right? Like he's going to drive in a hundred runs. He's going to score a hundred runs. He's going to hit 35 home runs plus, Well, he's already got 29. <laughs> So I think we're probably going to get a career high in home runs for Matt Olson. His career high is 39. He could get 50 um, this year. I mean, that's that's the pace <laughs> right now. But also, it's because this Braves lineup is so ridiculous right now. He's also on pace for like 120 runs and 120 RBI. <laughs> I mean, if he plays 160 games, that's the pace we're talking about right now, I'm pretty sure, which is just... It's stupid, the the kind of season that this team is having. And I, I have to think at some point they will go through a stretch where they're not uh, scoring eight runs every single game and not everyone in the lineup will have an 860 OPS. But, <laughs> I mean, Ozzy Albies is on pace for 40 home runs and 120 RBI. Like It's just, it's absolutely nuts right now. And it's elevating Matt Olson in addition to him having the kind of bounce back season that I think a lot of people were hoping for. So, yeah, I think you can absolutely make the case that he is a top 15 overall player in fantasy the rest of the way and, and is the the number two first baseman. I don't have it ranked that way right now, but it wouldn't take much. If you look at points per game on CBS, Matt Olson is averaging 3.8 fantasy points per game. That's just behind Freddie Freeman at 3.9, and it's ahead of, Pete Alonzo, 3.4. Mm-hmm. Paul Goldschmidt, 3.3. So if we're just talking about that top five group, and then, I mean, Vlad, it's it's been a disappointing year for Vlad. He's 3.1 fantasy points yeah. per game. So I think there's a case for it, at least in a points league, because Matt Olson walks a lot too. I get, you know, in Roto, Paul Goldschmidt chips in a few steals and better batting average. So you can make that case. He, but in a points league, Matt Olson probably is the number two first baseman the rest of the season. Here's the, the one thing I will say is, as disappointing as Vladimir Guerrero has been, his expected Woba is actually 401 right now. And he's had this weird thing where he can't really hit for power at home, or at least he hasn't hit for power at home so far. His home OPS 697, road OPS 898. Well, he has three home runs, I think, in the last like 10 days at home. So he finally hit his first one. He followed that up, I think, with two more in that same series. I, I do still think... Vlad is the better hitter. Um, so I, I would take him rest of the way, but I, I'm not super confident in that. Look at where these first base is just <laughs> loaded with talent, right? So Freddie Freeman, Vlad Jr., Matt Olson, Paul Goldschmidt, Pete Alonso. They all rank between 7th and 15th in all of baseball in expected Woba. So that, yeah, that counts quality of contact plus strikeouts and walks. So they're like five of the top 15 best hitters in baseball right now. So again, I mean, it's, it's splitting hairs, but I just wanted to give Matt Olson his due. because It's been, been awesome. like a slightly underwhelming season for Paul Goldschmidt. He's still a top 30 player in fantasy. It's been actually Spencer Steer is the number four first baseman in fantasy right now, which is he's so good. Wild. I should be doing more victory lapping on that. <laughs> uh, and yeah, Pete Alonso's top 40. Christian Walker's actually a top 40 hitter. 
as well. So yeah, there's been some some pretty good uh, first baseman even beyond the, the the elite guys. Yeah, everybody except uh, the guys that I liked coming into the year, Rowdy Telez and Anthony Rizzo. So, <laughs> yeah, it's been a little rough. Good job, Frank. Let's talk about Kodai Senga. He tied his season high with 12 strikeouts at the Diamondbacks. He went eight innings of one-run ball. Those aforementioned 12 strikeouts, 18 swinging strikes on 107 pitches, 10 on the forkball, four on the fastball, three on the cutter, and velocity up around one mile per hour on all of his main pitches in this start. Good news for Kodai Senga. And uh, he did make a bit of a pitch mix change. He faded his four-seam fastball a little bit and threw his cutter, his most used pitch, mm -hmm. in this start. And it actually is a pitch that has had much better results on balls and play this season. So I wonder if it's something we could see more from Kodai Senga moving forward. Drops his ERA down to 3.35. The whip is at 1.3. That 1. was surprising. 3. Yeah, yeah. And if you look at his K per nine, 11.3 for Kodai Senga, that ranks fifth among qualified starting pitchers behind only Spencer Strider, Kevin Gosman, Shohei Otani, and Blake Snell. So along the same same lines of you moving up your Brian Bayo in your rankings, Chris, uh, I think Kodai Senga probably deserves to be top 50-ish. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Um, let me see where I have him. Uh, he is 66 for me. Yeah, that feels a little low, but it's also like, like when I said I was surprised that his ERA is down to 330, 332, 335. It might be 332 because I think he came out for the eighth and I was not expecting it. Yeah. Um, 331. It's pretty None good. None of us were right. <laughs> uh, that's surprising because outside of may he hasn't had an era under three in any month this season it was 415 in april 371 in june but obviously this is a really good start he the vibes i'm getting are a little blake snell e where there are going to be absolute moments of brilliance but he has not shown the consistent ability to throw strikes and the actual weird thing is He's had three starts where he's had one walk or fewer so far this season. It was this one. It was June 17th against the Cardinals when he gave up four earned runs. And it was May 11th against the Reds when he gave up five earned runs in five innings. So that's kind of interesting that that has not been the, the silver bullet for him. But yeah, I just I have a hard time being aggressively, you know, aggressively moving a guy up when you look at the monthly splits and I'm just doing monthly splits because it's an easy way for me not to have to do math on my own, right? The months are arbitrary endpoints. 18 walks and 26 innings in April, 13 and 29, 15 and 26 and two thirds. Two of the three months, he's had well over four and a half walks per nine. I think both of those are over five walks per nine. The good month is more like four walks per nine. That's just a really high number. And he hasn't shown signs of consistently figuring that out enough for me to buy in. But I think he's going to be good. It's just limitations on innings and specifically whip. You know, his whip, even with that, you know, surprisingly good ERA, I think his whip is up to 131 for the season. That's 132. That's that's rough. I think he's better in Roto, although he is bad in the whip category. That's the thing is that this specifically yeah. harms you in whip, but... Because in a points league, he doesn't... When he's off, he doesn't give you quality starts. He, mm -hmm. doesn't, he doesn't go more than five innings at times, you know, because he's inefficient, the walks kind of add up and things happen. He's done a really good job of limiting runs from scoring and just kind of mm -hmm. navigating runners on base, but... Yeah, for that reason, I think he's probably better in Roto because the strikeouts are good, the ERA is good. Yeah, the whip, not so much, but uh, he's been getting a good amount of wins as well. That's Kodai Senga. Uh, I think I'm going to push him up a little bit. He'll probably wind up around the top 50 starting pitchers, but I definitely see the, uh, the Blake Snell comparison there with Kodai Senga. Let's take our first break, and when we return, I have two other names I want to talk about in terms of the rankings. Ellie De La Cruz, another awesome game, and Bryson Stott, who it feels like maybe we haven't given his fair due this season. We'll talk about that right after this. <clears throat> Welcome back. A quick reminder to download and follow our five-minute podcast, Fantasy Baseball's Day in Five, where we usually usually talk about the top players, the top news of the day, and uh, it's only five minutes. So if you want to listen to that in addition to this podcast, or if you just don't have enough time to catch this one, download and follow Fantasy Baseball Today in Five. If you're watching us on YouTube, you can scan that QR code. It'll take you right to the podcast feed. 
Let's talk about Ellie De La Cruz, who went three for six with a sock and a shoe. His fourth home run, his 11th steal of the season. He had four hard hits in this game. The home run was 111.6 exit velocity that traveled 455 feet. And I mentioned I updated the infield rankings. I've been hesitant, Chris, to move Ellie De La Cruz ahead of other really big names. I Are, are you there yet? The names like... Lindor and Bobby Witt Jr. and Manny Machado. Have you been able to push Ellie De La Cruz past those names yet? Uh, he is 37 in my overall rankings. He is my shortstop number eight in Roto. In points, he's, I think, in like the 70 or 80 range. His, his skill set's just not quite as geared for that, although the strikeouts have not been quite as bad as as we feared they would be. It's Still a very small sample size, and it feels like every other game, it's like, oh, his strikeout rate's below 30%. Oh, his strikeout rate's back over 40, 30%. It's it's a little, you know, fun with small sample size, but right now it's 31%, 6% walk rate. So, yeah, not quite as good in the points league. Let me see. In my overall rankings, let me look at some of the names that he's ahead of. He is ahead of Manny Machado now. I made that move today. He's ahead of... Different positions, but he's ahead of Adolis Garcia. He's ahead of Ozzy Albies, Cedric Mullins. Those are some pretty big names. So yeah, I'm I'm being pretty aggressive with him. Not like Wander Franco is an interesting one because he slowed down a lot with the bat. But I mean the the power has been pretty good. The steals have obviously been elite. Who would you rather have rest of season? I think I have to go with Wander Franco. I've aggressively... It's not like he's got a much longer track record, though. That's true. I I think there's a higher floor with Wander Franco just based on how much contact he makes, his plate discipline. He doesn't walk that much, but he has a good eye at the plate. Um, I I just think that gives him a higher floor. And, you know, as much power as Ellie De La Cruz has, the ground ball rate kind of does limit some of the power upside right now. That can change. He's obviously still very young. But uh, Wander Franco has 10 homers on the year. Really good batting average, a 27 steals. So I think if everything works out for Ellie De La Cruz, you, you probably want him to do what Wander Franco has done all season, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I think I think I would rather just stick with Wander. I, I think that's perfectly fair. Let's talk about Bryson Stott, who went four for five with two runs and his 15th steal. He had five hard hits in this game. He is now batting 304 with seven home runs, 15 steals, a 769 OPS a few things in the underlying numbers. The BABIP is pretty high at 344. The expected numbers don't look as good for Bryson Stott. But there are there are exceptions to the rule. I mean, there are always players that kind of just outperform expected numbers. So I don't want to just put that evil on Bryson Stott and say he's absolutely going to regress. He probably will regress a little bit. But uh, Chris, what do you think about Bryson Stott? I, just based on what he's done all year, I, I kind of felt like I should move him up more. But then... You know, you, you you start to get into moving him ahead of Carlos Correa and Tim Anderson and yeah, Willie Adamas, guys that have struggled all year. I mean, is that something that we should consider doing at this point? It's you know we're we're halfway through the season. Even the way Stott has played, I, I I suppose I could see the case for it, but like it'd be one thing if he had been overwhelmingly dominant, but you know it's a very good batting average. Decent speed, but not necessarily difference-making speed anymore. Not a lot of runs overall. You know, he's still, you know, hitting sixth or lower most days. Um, I, yeah, I don't, I don't really see it. I've been lower on him and, and he's made me look pretty dumb so far, but like the expected batting average is 262. The expected slug is 365. Uh, like, I think he can hit 280. You know, I think he could run ahead of that because he's got that all fields approach. He is sharp, starting to hit the ball a little harder overall, but I I find him pretty uninspiring. Looking at the pace numbers for Bryson Stott, he's on pace for 13 homers, 27 steals, 296 batting average. That's a pretty productive player. The, the counting stats are definitely underwhelming. 70 runs scored and 60 yeah. RBI. I think... That just get back, gets back to something we were talking about before the podcast, Chris. Trey Turner and JT Real Muto, they've they've been pretty big letdowns this year. So I think as a result, we've we've seen yeah. all of even Kyle Schwarber, the batting average is 
brutal 185 yep. i think it is so uh all those guys struggling it's it's led to low, lower counting stats totals and for those guys and even in june where bryson stott hit 302 with a 782 ops it's his best month of the season he had 14 runs which comes out to like an 80 to 85 run pace over the course of a season and obviously look he could get moved up in the lineup I think it's pretty unlikely given the big names at the top of that lineup that they're going to do that, but it's possible. I suppose lineups are not static, Um, but yeah, I just, I think he's like a batting average specialist who's playing over his head right now. One name that I moved him ahead of, you tell me maybe I'm off base here. I moved him ahead of Nolan Gorman, the way that he struggled mightily since the start of June. I think that's perfectly reasonable. All right. Well, that's all for the uh, rankings here. Again, I've actually, I didn't do it on purpose. Sorry to cut you off. All good. I moved Bryson Stott one spot ahead of Nolan Gorman earlier today. It wasn't like a conscious thing, but in my overall rankings, he is one spot ahead. All right. And if you ever want to check out our rankings, you could do so on the site, cbssports.com slash fantasy slash baseball slash rankings, where we have all of our positional rankings, and I will be updating outfield and starting pitcher here on Thursday. Let's talk about some waiver wire hitters here, Chris, and we will start off with... Colton Kowser, how did he do in his debut? He picked up his first career hit, an RBI single off of a left-handed pitcher. I thought that was pretty interesting. He wound up going one for three with a walk, a run, and an RBI. He also had a line out that was 107.7 exit velocity. Pretty encouraging there. He's up to 50% rostered. And another outfielder from uh, Wednesday, Jack Sawinski, went one for three with his 19th home run. (laughs) We've talked extensively about him in the past. He's a He's a pretty interesting player to evaluate. Uh, he's batting 236. He walks a lot. Jack Sawinski, 19 homers, 7 steals, and 891 OPS. That, that's a, a pretty valuable player, Chris. Uh, where do you fall on Jack Sawinski, and what do you think of Colton Kowser's debut? Uh, good to see Colton Kowser getting in there and getting a hit off a lefty. Um, not a ton to add beyond that. It was just, you know, it's one game, so you're just looking for positive signs, and we got it. Got a hit. Off a, off a lefty, it wasn't smoked. It was a, a solid line drive, 83 miles per hour to, to right field. Um, as for Sawinski, he's just all over the place. I mean, like he had a decent month of June because he walked 15 times and hit five home runs. He had a 772 OPS, but he hit 185. And he... Did he miss some time or was he sitting out against some some lefties? Um, I think that might have been the case because only 85, 82 played appearances in the month of June. I think he's just kind of an all or nothing guy. And the nice thing about that is he does bring some speed to the table. And so it's not like a Kyle Schwarber all or nothing where if he's not hitting, he's not going to give you anything. You know, Swinsky can swipe a base, but I think he's also worse than Kyle Schwarber as a hitter. So they're, the, the the lows are going to be a lot lower. Yeah, and with Jack Swinsky, you, know, you were talking about him. <laughs> he kind of reminds me of the the Blake Snell, the Kodai Senga of hitters, right? It's just, I think we're going to get wild inconsistencies. He's going to go through stretches where he looks really good. He, you're, he's going to go through stretches where you want to drop him off your team. He's uh, Justin Upton was a hitter like that in the past where, yeah. man, if you looked at his monthly OPS, it would be like one month up over a thousand, the next below 700. So it's a, uh, it's a wild ride, but you know, specifically if you're playing a Roto league, it's just what are the, the numbers at the end of the season? Yep. And right now it looks like at the end of the season, Jackson Winsky's numbers are going to look pretty good. Um, would you take him over? either of Leody Tavares or Tommy Pham. Those are two names we've talked a lot about recently. I think I would take him over Tommy Pham, but not Leody Tavares. I really like what we've seen from Leody Tavares. All right, let's talk about a few corner infielders. Joey Votto went three for five with his fifth home run in 13 games. He is only batting three, uh, 205 so far, but has an 885 OPS in the small sample. Uh, Garrett Cooper continues to hit well, two for four, with a double walk and three RBI. How about those Marlins, by the way? The team of destiny. Just the dumbest win in Marlins history. <laughs> it just, was just the most routine throw over to first base. Well, and Jordan Hicks just airmails it. It wasn't just that. It was, they go up, I think, 4 nothing in the first inning. They're leading 5 nothing. Tie game. They go up, I think, 8-7 going into the ninth. A.J. Puck gives up a two-run home, two home run to Jordan Walker. 
And then Jordan Hicks, who's been awesome this season, gives up two hits. I think uh, I can't even remember the the guy's name. Uh, shorts the guy who was playing third base for them. Joey Wendell goes up and like legitimately the most overmatched I've seen a major league hitter look in an at bat so far this season. Jordan Hicks just pumps 202 mile an hour fastballs right by him. And Joey, Joey Wendell, I turn to my wife, she's sitting next to me and I'm like, this guy's got zero chance. And what does he do? He chases 103 mile an hour sinker out of the zone, hits it 22 feet. And a little bit of that's on Paul Goldschmidt. Paul Goldschmidt was like weirdly late getting to the bag. You can see Jordan Hicks pump because Paul Goldschmidt's not there yet. And I think that's what threw him off. And the Marlins win in a walk off <laughs> on a ball that was hit 22 feet. It was uh, incredible and stupid. And uh, I-, I loved watching it. It was insane. By the way, that Jordan Walker home run, he's going to be really good. <laughs> I think Jordan Walker's going to. I'm not breaking news here, but 112 exit velocity, 444 yeah. feet on that home run. It, you know, people were tweeting at me asking, do we drop Jordan Walker? It's no, don't drop Jordan Walker, man. It, He's going to be good. He's going to be really good. I will say this, man. Going against the the Cardinals, I know they've been crappy this season. I still think that lineup is terrifying. Like, actually going through it and, like, you got to get Paul Goldschmidt and then Nolan Arenado. It's just like, man, that sucks for pitchers. And it just has not come together for them. But was not surprising that Jordan Walker crushed one tonight. I think it's been mostly pitching more than anything for the for the Cardinals yeah. and their bullpen. They've blown so many games this year, too. Yeah, the bullpen, like, overall isn't bad. It's just been the worst possible timing, like tonight. Let's get back to the corner infielders. Joey Votto and Garrett Cooper. Cooper, by the way, 27 games since the start of June, batting 296 with six home runs, doing a pretty good job of barreling up the ball there. Uh, Joey Votto and Cooper. Chris, who do you like more as a corner infielder? Oh, uh, I would go with Votto. Just the the power that he's shown in the early going is reminiscent of that. What is it? 36 homer season in 2021. He does seem to have rediscovered something here. And, you know, the the batting average is really low. He's striking out a lot. I'm not so worried about that. Um, but yeah, tonight's home run was a, a bit of a cheapie. It was like 380 feet to left field. But, you know, opposite field home run. That's always good to see. He is completely selling out it for yeah. power right now. That's what it looks like because he has a 54% fly ball rate, which his previous high was, nah, that was as a rookie. It was two years ago, 42%. So yeah. pull rate is way up. Yeah, yeah. He, he, that, there's a little bit to that. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's leading the strikeouts too, but I think there's going to be some power there. Obviously, it's great ballpark and Votto's hitting right in the middle of a one of the most exciting lineups in baseball right now. So uh, I think I would agree with you, Vado, over Garrett Cooper as well. Edward Julian, I, I don't know that there's much to do with this. He went one for two with a walk and his sixth home run. It, on paper, he's been fine. 258 batting average, 811 OPS. He's been terrible against lefties. He has a 34% strikeout rate. He sat, I think it was on Tuesday, against a righty. I, I don't know why. Um, so his playing time has been kind of weird. I think if you picked him up in a deeper league, you just hold on, but... Outside of that, I don't know that there's much utility for Edward yep. Julian. And Yiner Diaz, this guy has been awesome. Two for four with a double dong. He just keeps hitting in 26 games since the start of June. He's batting 298 with eight home runs. I asked Scott this question last week. It's kind of a tough one to answer right now. It's as great as Diaz has played. If you picked up in a two-catcher league, you're loving it. I just don't know where or how he's going to play every day once Jordan Alvarez returns to this lineup. That's the biggest question right now. Yeah, and you know the the underlying numbers are actually pretty good, but it's been a lot of you know cheap-ish home runs to left field. He's taking advantage of that short porch. I, I you know it's it's a it's the kind of thing though where I, I don't really I can't say not to add him right. Like I guess if you're in a one catcher points league, maybe not. But there aren't 24 good catchers right now who are worth rostering. So in two catcher leagues, I think he's absolutely worth rostering. You just worry about it when he's not playing. Yeah, no, that, that's absolutely right. I, I moved Diaz up to 23rd in my catcher ranking. So he's certainly viable in a, in a two catcher uh, roto league 
Um, that is Yiner Diaz. Two names in deeper leagues. Will Benson went two for five with two RBI and his seventh steal. All of a sudden, he's batting 287 with an 833 OPS. He's started eight of the past 10 games for the Reds. Looks like he is not playing against lefties. He only has 11 plate appearances against lefties on the season. Uh, the other name here is Tony Kemp. That's right. That Tony Kemp. He went two for four with two RBI and his eighth steal. And fun with arbitrary endpoints. Last 18 games for Tony Kemp, he's batting 333 with two home runs, four steals, and only three strikeouts in 18 games. It's, it's pretty crazy. Uh, Chris, anything here on Will Benson or Tony Kemp in deeper leagues? I feel like we get like a stretch like this from Tony Kemp every season, and he is what he is. He's like the slappiest slap hitter in baseball. His average exit velocity is always among the league. The bottom of the league hard hit rate is 21% right now, which is actually an improvement over last season. League average is 36% for context. So I don't think there's much to be excited about with either of these guys, Benson a little more, just because good lineup, good home park. It's just, you know, the not playing against lefties is, you know, limits the upside. Who would you say is a better slap hitter, Tony Kemp or Ronald Acuna? Ooh, Tony Kemp, probably a better slap hitter <laughs> since he's actually a slap hitter. That's right. Let's quickly hit some news and notes before we get to our final break. And Shohei Otani was in the lineup as the DH Wednesday, despite dealing with that blister. Joe Adele also in the lineup against the right-handed pitcher in Seth Lugo. I thought that was pretty interesting. Uh, I wrote Taylor Walls was on the Taylor bench. Ward. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I meant to say Taylor Ward. So uh, looks like they're going to continue doing a rotation like they were doing when uh, Mike Trout was healthy there. Speaking of Mike Trout, he did undergo surgery on his fractured left hamate bone on Wednesday and is set to miss the next four to six weeks. Astros GM Dana Brown said that a decision has not been made regarding whether Jose Altuve will go on the IL, but he could be held out of the lineup through the All-Star break. He is currently dealing with left oblique tightness. Brandon Woodruff threw off flat ground the past few days and is aiming to throw a bullpen session this weekend. He's been out since mid-April with a grade two subscapular strain. Clayton Kershaw said his shoulder injury is trending upward and that he feels confident he'll be ready to pitch after the All-Star break. Esteori Ruiz will undergo x-rays on an, an, an MRI on his right shoulder on Thursday. Hopefully he's good to go because... If you play in any Roto or Categories League, the guy has Damn. been a godsend, leading baseball with 43 steals on the season. Ketel Marte has missed two straight due to lower back soreness. He did appear as a pinch hitter on Wednesday, um, and all it took was me acquiring him in the Scott White Dennis <laughs> League for uh, Ketel Marte to get hurt. So I'm sorry to everybody else out there. Christian Javier will not make another start before the All-Star break. He was originally slated to start this weekend. And frankly, it might be for the best for our fantasy teams, for Christian Javier. Take an extended break. Try to get your mind right. Come back after the and All-Star break. and Get the mechanics right. Yeah. His, his arm slot's just a little off. He's a little less elevated. And so, yeah, that, that's one where it's just hopefully he can get right. Yeah. Bryce Miller, who is placed in the I.L. with a blister on his right middle finger, is, quote, not going to pitch for a while. That's all we got. I don't That's know what weird, that I don't know what that means. Yeah, he threw 133 innings last season, so I don't think there's like innings management going on. So that's a little maybe a little more serious than your typical blister. I read a little bit more about it and apparently it severely affects his velocity. So mm -hmm. someone who relies so heavily on just his fastball, they probably mm -hmm. need to wait until that blister is just completely gone until he can get back to pitching for the Mariners. Rowdy Telez was placed on the IL with right forearm inflammation, uh, apparently something he's been dealing with for a while now, so might explain some of the struggles for him. Brian Anderson, uh, Brian Anderson was activated from the paternity list. Red Sox manager Alex Cora said Justin Turner could be used at second base in the coming days as the team looks to jumpstart their offense. Trevor Story could be back, uh, could be ready for a rehab assignment immediately after the All-Star break. He had internal brace surgery on his right elbow back in January. Zach Greinke was placed in the I.L. with right shoulder tendonitis. Yankees reliever Jimmy Cordero has been suspended for the remainder of the season for violating MLB's joint domestic violence, sexual assault, and child abuse policy. And last but not least, Chris, the home run derby field is set. 
We've got Pete Alonso, Julio Rodriguez, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Mookie Betts, Randy Rosarena, Luis Robert, Adley Rutschman, and Adolis Garcia. Honestly, it's it's a pretty awesome group. I'm in. I'm in on this. Yeah, I think the matchups are Pete Alonso versus Randy Rosarena, Mookie Betts versus Adolis Garcia, Vlad Guerrero versus Luis Robert, and Julio. No, sorry. I don't know why they have them in this order because it's Julio Rodriguez against Pete Alonso. So I, I was yeah. hoping I could find the bracket real quick, but I, I couldn't. Uh, I, I have the bracket, but it's probably too late. <laughs> yeah. While you were reading it off, it was completely wrong. And I'm just like, I'll tell him as soon as he's done talking. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I figured it out because I remember seeing Alonzo versus Rodriguez earlier. And I was like, oh, that's super fun. And then I realized that's not what I read. And it's it's already we're, we're already gone. Yeah, I, I only know because I remember Randy Rosarena against Adolis Garcia. And to me, those guys are the Spider-Man meme. Uh, yeah. It's just every time I see them in the rankings, I'm like, I'm going to just put them back to back. They're both yeah. really good. I don't know who should be ahead of the other, but they're good. They're really good players. Adolis Garcia and Randy Rosarena. Let's take our final break. And when we return, I uh, do have some waiver wire pitchers, some leftovers. We'll do that right after this. Welcome back, and a quick thanks to everyone watching us live. We do appreciate you being here. Uh, if Please hit that like button, subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. Let's talk some waiver wire pitchers, and we'll start off with these first two. JP France has turned in six straight quality starts. He was facing the Rockies. Six innings, three runs, four strikeouts with nine swinging strikes. He lowers his ERA to 326, though the underlying numbers are not buying it when it comes to J.P. France. The other name is Seth Lugo, who has now allowed three earned runs or fewer in 10 of 12 starts this season. He's just been rock solid. Facing the Angels, six innings, two runs, one of those earned with six strikeouts and a season-high 18 swinging strikes for Seth Lugo. 49% rostered. Chris, Seth Lugo kind of feels like one of the most under-rostered players in fantasy baseball, especially when you consider that he has... He's a SPARP on CBS. You can use him in a relief pitcher spot. Yeah, I think part of it was that he missed some time and it, it kind of derailed whatever momentum there might have been. And if you're, you know, you either have to be like a top prospect who comes out firing or you have to get off to a really, really good start. And he just kind of got off to like a pretty good start in April, but then he didn't build on it. And I think people just kind of forgot about him. But yeah, he's, I made the comp to Braxton Garrett. Uh, a few weeks ago. And I, I think Garrett has more strikeouts. Uh, but overall, I think they're kind of similar players. They're not going to go super deep into games consistently, but when things are going right, they're they're pretty solid pitchers. So I do uh, I do like Seth Lugo quite a bit more than I like uh, JP France, who I just don't buy it at all. They're, like even this stretch with the six complete or, uh, six quality starts, it's like, 22 strikeouts to 13 walks in 40 something innings. It's just like, I don't buy it at all. Uh, JP France, he does get a lot of ground balls. He's done a good job of limiting hard contact, but yeah, the strikeout rate is yeah. really bad. His FIP is 480. His ex FIP is 460. So I do think we're going to see some regression at some point here for JP France. You know, when evaluating Seth Lugo, it reminded me a lot of Zach Eflin, just kind of a sure. poor man, Zach Eflin. Gets a good amount of strikeouts, but not a ton. Really good walk rate. Gets ground balls. Uh, has done a good job limiting hard contact as well. So I I like the profile. So I don't know that there's like a huge upside with Seth Lugo, but certainly a very high floor. And I think he needs to be rostered in all points leagues where you do have that relief pitcher spot. One name that pitched on Wednesday that it kind of feels a little bit overrated right now. I know he has the name value from the past. He's still currently the most added starting pitcher on CBS. Michael Soroka did not allow a run, but was inefficient at the Guardians. Four and two-thirds shutout innings, five hits, three walks, had seven swinging strikes on 99 pitches, and he's made uh, four starts. He's got a 531 ERA, a 157 whip. Chris just feels like people are holding on to the Mike Soroka that we knew from the past, and they're kind of hoping he gets back there. I'm hoping that happens, but we really don't have much evidence that it's going to happen 58% rostered seems too high for him. Uh, way too high. I mean, that that's... I'd much rather have Seth Lugo. Agreed. I, I, I guess I'd rather have JP France, but I don't feel super 
confident about that one way or the other. But yeah, Soroka has made 10 starts now between the, the minors and the majors. Part of that was on his rehab assignment. So you don't judge the results of those entirely. But I mean, he got sent back to AAA and was better, but not particularly good still. You know, it was uh, one. Sorry. Yeah, it was pretty good. Three earned runs over his three starts, but it was like three strikeouts in one, four walks in that one. It just, I don't know. It would be a great story. I'm certainly rooting for him, but I, I just think it's too much to come back from. Two names that pitched well, who I think are mostly streamers. I, I don't know that there's much else here. Uh, Dean Kramer, he was great at the Yankees. Seven innings of two-run ball. Only one of those earned uh, 10 strikeouts with 18 swinging strikes for Kramer. And Tommy Henry turned in a scoreless outing up against the Mets. He went six shutout innings with two strikeouts in that one. Uh, Tommy Henry does do some interesting things. 10.7% swinging strike rate. Does a really good job limiting hard contact. But I think for the most part, Chris, these two names are left for the streaming category. Dean Kramer and Tommy Henry. Yeah, I don't know where the strikeouts came from for Kramer. He had five in each of his previous three starts, I believe. Um, hasn't really been trending up in that regard. Doesn't really profile as a great swing and miss guy. I like Dean Kramer a bit as a streamer, uh, you know, especially when that when they're at home, but also when they have good matchups on the road. This was certainly better than I expected, but we talked about him as a potential streamer for this one. Yep, certainly did. And let's talk about two other names. Don't really think that they matter. In fact, Randy Vasquez was optioned back to the minors after his start, but he has allowed a total of two earned runs in three starts for the Yankees this season. And uh, one other thing with him, both his sweeper and curveball have a spin rate over 3,000 RPM. I mean, (laughs) those are elite-level spin rates. It hasn't translated to great production in the minors, but... I thought it was interesting. And uh, Graham Ashcraft has now turned in back-to-back quality starts. Uh, Chris, anything here? Deeper leagues, Randy Vasquez, Graham Ashcraft. Vasquez, I mean, there's not no intrigue just because he does have a little bit of prospect pedigree, but obviously the fact that he was sent down suggests that there's not much to be interested in. And then Ashcraft... I think he's just going to have starts like this because when he's on, he's really hard to square up. But I think that the inconsistency is is going to overwhelm that. And you see, just see in the numbers, 628 ERA, that's, that's not a fluke. You know, that's not bad luck. It's a very, very minor uh, margin for error because he just, he's got two pitches. They're very similar pitches. You know, one's the slider, one's the cutter, but he just, he doesn't have a very enough skill set, I think, to get away with it. All right, let's talk about two pitchers that have been struggling lately. John Gray, uh, since he was dealing with a blister in mid-June, just has not been the same. Um, You know what? I didn't write down the numbers since then, but (laughs) he was really good before that blister, and then he had that blister, and then he just kind of fell apart. Uh, Has given up, gave up four runs in this outing, over six innings pitched at the Boston Red Sox. And uh, yeah, the strikeouts haven't been great lately for John Gray. The other name here is Bobby Miller, who has slowed down tremendously over his last four starts. And look at that. I actually wrote down the numbers for him. 857 ERA and a 167 whip over his last four starts. Chris, what's going on with Bobby Miller and John Gray? I mean, John Gray, it kind of just seems like the blister, right? Because he had 12 strikeouts to zero walks on June 7th against the Cardinals. His next start out only goes two and a third innings. His last four starts overall, I believe it's 12 strikeouts to 10 walks over 19 and a third innings. That's not good on any of those. I guess the innings over four starts isn't terrible, but it's not great either. So, yeah, I uh, I I would hope that it's just a get some rest, stop throwing for a week or two during the All-Star break, and let's get back to it. But obviously, it's a little concerning. And then Bobby Miller... I wonder how much of it's just growing pains for a young pitcher. The the Dodgers, whatever secret sauce, whatever magic they had that got the best out of every single pitcher they threw out there the last like five or six years has not been there today. I mean, we've seen Michael Grove and, and Gavin Stone this season have all struggled. Uh, Emmett Sheehan has had his ups and downs as well. But I do still think Bobby Miller has a lot going for him. You know, the changeup, really good pitch. The slider still looks like a very good pitch. 
He's figuring out his fastballs, you know, the four seamer versus the sinker. He throws them hard, but the results haven't been great. So I, I still think there's a lot to work with for Bobby Miller. And he's just, I, I, I like to think it's growing pains. I think maybe we, or at least I did. I, I think maybe I put too high of expectations on these rookie pitchers. As soon as they got called up, you know, we get so excited. It was one name after another, Taj Bradley, Bobby Miller, Yuri Perez, uh, Andrew Abbott, just all these names, one after another. And when, you know, it's almost like a good competition of one guy showing up the next one. And for a while, you know, Bobby Miller looked amazing and, and Andrew Abbott continues to pitch really well. And I think I just have to keep the right mindset that these guys, not only are they human, but they're rookies. They're rookie pitchers, yeah. man. They're they're allowed to struggle. You know, pitchers in general, veteran pitchers are allowed to struggle, especially rookies. So I think he's just kind of going through it right now. But if you watch Bobby Miller pitch... As he pointed out, the secondaries look good. He throws 100 miles per hour on his fastball. I think in the long run, he's going to be all right, but he's just kind of going through it right now, and I think that's fair for a rookie pitcher. Uh, let's get into some leftovers here. We'll start with the two pitchers. Alex Cobb, a strong start up against the Mariners. Six shutout innings with seven strikeouts. It was his first quality start since June 3rd. And Eduardo Rodriguez actually went the other way. His first start back for the Tigers. He was roughed up. By the Oakland A's of all teams. Four innings pitched, five runs allowed, did have seven strikeouts. Um, seems like he might have been a little bit unlucky in this one. He didn't really allow much hard contact. The strikeouts mm-hmm. were there. Uh, anything to add on Erod and Alex Cobb? Yeah, Erod got babbipped a little bit. And the other thing I noticed, and, and this is the one thing I would say just to kick it off, is I tend to give guys coming back from injury a mulligan, you know, especially. In Eduardo Rodriguez's case, what we saw in this start was his cutter usage was down. He he used his cutter about the same as his slider. And, you know, I do wonder if that's just a first start back. He's not 100% healthy with this finger injury. Because, you know, you think about the way you throw those two pitches. They're similar-ish pitches, but the cutter is more about the the pressure that you place on the ball as you release it rather than, you know, the the the, the flip of the, the wrist as with the slider. And so, you know, I do wonder if he just wasn't hundred percent confident with it, but you know, as he gets further removed from the injury, maybe the cutter will, will become more of a weapon for him. So that was the one thing I noticed with him. Cobb, I, I think is really interesting because the splitter just hasn't been as effective and that's been his best pitch over the last couple of seasons. But the spin rate's up a little bit, which, you know, not necessarily what you want with a splitter and the whiff rate's down. So he's not getting, you know, probably the same amount of movement on that pitch. And the results overall have been really good this season. 291 ERA from a guy who, you know, we've liked a little bit as a, a sleeper, but the underlying metrics, specifically the strikeout rate, it's his lowest since 2020. So I think there is some concern there that the the splitter just hasn't been quite as good as he needs it to be, despite, you know, overall pretty good results. Again, that is Alex Cobb. Let's move over to some hitting leftovers. Alec Bohm went three for four with a run RBI and his third steal. 19 games since returning from the IL. He's batting 333 with three home runs and a ton of line drives. Nolan Arenado went three for five with three doubles, two runs, and two RBI. Wilson Contreras, three for four with a double, two runs, and two RBI. Three straight multi-hit games for Wilson Contreras. Batting average slowly creeping up. The expected numbers still look really good. I think we might get a really big second half from uh, Wilson Contreras. He's a name that I would be looking to buy right now. Absolutely. The, The expected stats have been really good all season. They're starting to catch up. So, yeah. Sean Murphy. Four for five with his 15th home run. He had three hard hits in this game, all of them over 109 exit velocity. He had a single that was nearly 115 miles per hour off the bat. He has been a stud. Sean Ridiculous. Murphy. Manny Machado continues his strong play, went two for three with his 12th home run. And J.D. Martinez hit his 20th home run of the season. It's just so interesting that coming off a year in Boston where... You would think that ballpark is tailor-made for J.D. Martinez. He he looked like he was slowing down, and then boom, gets a one-year deal from the Dodgers, and he's just, he's not fully back to prime J.D. Martinez, but he's really not far off the way that he's played so far this year. I'm going to make a comp right now, Chris, and I, I know he's not the player that mm-hmm. David Ortiz is, 
But I just wonder if we can, the tail end of J.D. Martinez's career here, can we get like a David Ortiz-esque outcome where he just doesn't slow down, right? He just keeps hitting until he retires. Like, the way he's looked this year, I, I don't I don't know that it, I don't think it's impossible. I'll just throw, I'll, I'll, I'll say that. The, the, the thing that's tough there is David Ortiz was such a freak that like, he yeah. retired when he was six years older than J.D. Martinez currently is, and he was still <laughs> one of the best hitters in baseball throughout that time. It's just Amazing. ridiculous. But, you know, J.D. Martinez, like, I-, I think we're seeing some interesting trade-offs here, right? Like, he's hitting for better power than he has in a long time. His average exit velocity is the highest it's been since 2018. But he's also got the highest strikeout rate of his career at 30.3%. Per- 30. So, like... Those are the kind of trade-offs that you expect to see from an older player, and so far it's working. And and you know I think there will come a time when there will be diminishing returns, but we're not there yet. Mm-hmm. JD Martinez turns thirty-six years old in August, and frankly, I hope he just kind of sticks around with the Dodgers. But you know, with that being said, I I know that they're big players for Shohei Otani. Let's so. bring let's bring him home to Miami, baby. Hey. That, that, that might, local kid. That might actually work out. Let's Playing say, in high school class of 06. Let's see what happens. Let's go Falcons. This offseason, J.D. Martinez to the Marlins. Make it happen. The call to the bullpen. A few updates here for the Astros. Ryan Presley picked up his 19th save for the Red Sox. Kenley Jansen picked up his 18th for the Marlins. A.J. Puck entered the ninth inning with a one-run lead. He gave up a two-run homer to Jordan Walker. And then the Cardinals... We kind of walked you through it, but Jordan Hicks, he got the bottom of the ninth with a one-run lead. He had two runners on base, one out. He airmailed a throw to first base. Both came in to score. The Cardinals lose another wild game. The Orioles, Felix Bautista recorded the final four outs for his 23rd save. For the Brewers, Devin Williams entered the ninth with a two-run lead. He gave up three runs, two of those earned. He took his second blown save and second loss. For the Cubs, Adbert Alzali struck out two for his fifth save, and he is only 27% rostered. He looks like the Cubs' closer. He's also been really good. 241 ERA, a .94 whip for Adbert Alzali. Josh Hader picked up his 20th save of the season, and let's kind of talk out some of these uh, other bullpens on the fly here because I didn't write it down. Camilo Doval picked up his 25th save. I think that ties the league lead. With Jordan Romano. I believe so, yeah. Wow, he's been he's been amazing. Lights out there for Camilo Duvall. And then the Mets and Diamondbacks game, that was kind of a, kind of a wacky one. I know Scott McGuff came in earlier. I think he, yeah. he, he recorded the seventh and eighth. He recorded four outs across the seventh and eighth. It was a really tight game. I get it. They probably wanted to use him against the heart of the lineup. Um, and then Andrew Chafin. Yeah, he blew the save. Came in in the ninth inning with a one-run lead. He gave up two runs. He took his third blown save and second loss of the season. On the other side, David Robertson picked up his thirteenth save. I'm just now seeing the Dodgers. Daniel Hudson. The Dodgers. They want to. They had a two-run win. Daniel Hudson. Boom. It was. It was a little iffy. He uh, he got the bases loaded. I think with one run, with one out, uh, had a couple of walks, but did have two strikeouts. Um, I think that gives him five strikeouts in three innings so far for Daniel Hudson. His velocity has been mostly fine. He got five whiffs on 29 pitches today, four on the slider. So some good and bad. The control, obviously not great to walk to, but he got his first save and it was not coming in mid mid inning or anything. He, he got, they treated him like a closer in this one. I don't necessarily think Daniel Hudson is just the closer now, but that's uh that's interesting. I'm absolutely sure that Evan Phillips was unavailable today, so that's a big factor in this, but I think there's a chance that maybe Phillips is used earlier in games as the fireman reliever and you know the biggest spot in the game, and then maybe Daniel Hudson picks up a few saves uh, moving forward there with the Dodgers. To stream or not to stream, let's start with Thursday, and who did we say yesterday? I think it was Kyle Bradish at yep. the Yankees. Uh, Michael Lorenzen versus the A's. Yeah, I don't love the options overall, but those would be my two favorites. Jack Flaherty against Miami. Ugh, I don't think I could do it. Against that buzzsaw of a lineup? There's no yeah. way. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> They're making it happen right now. Let's take a look at Friday. And, oh gosh, this is a... Uh, 
Not a great list. Well, you got to stream a, a righty against the Royals. So Aaron Savali, I think, is yeah, perfectly fine. Yeah, throw him out there. I, there's no way, right, Chris? You, you can't you can't play Alec Manoa his first start back, right? I can't. Yeah. I'm a coward. I want to see it first. I think yeah. there's like we talked about it yesterday. I think there's a possibility that Alec Manoa figured it out and is just going to be good the rest of the season. But you need to see it against real major league pitcher hitters. Uh, I don't hate Andrew Haney against Washington. I don't love it, love it, obviously, but that's probably the second best here. Yeah, it's definitely Savali the most. Yeah, uh, Andrew Heaney, he's still 75% rostered, so might not be out there. The other two names I'll just mention, but you really shouldn't do it. Jamison Tyone at the Yankees. Revenge game. No Aaron Judge. The lineup has been bad. Tyone has also been really bad. And uh, Griffith Canning has pitched well, but at the Dodgers, it's kind yeah, of... Yeah, I just don't, love, don't like the matchup. Yeah, I, I don't really like those two. It's, it's mostly Aaron Savali for me. We're going to wrap there for Chris. I am Frank. Thanks, as always, for tuning in to Fantasy Baseball today. Please make sure to follow and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye.